At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Journey Beyond Divorce with Karen McMahon and special guest Lisa Brick. If you haven't started at the beginning, this is the third step in our 12-step divorce recovery series. I invite you to go back and listen to our introductory show and two previous steps. Step one invites you into a greater awareness of your thoughts and begin to separate you, the thinker, from the thoughts. Step two guides you to accept the process, the emotional pain of divorce. And today we begin sharing step three, rolling out of mental ruts, the key to communicating with confidence, which explains how our thought process is the root of our emotional reaction and subsequent behavior. Welcome, Karen and Lisa. Hi, Steve. It's great to be here today. And I am so glad to be back. It's great to have you back too, Lise. So today we're talking about step three is all about rolling out of mental ruts. Our entire conversation today is going to be about what happens on our mental realm. And what you will walk away with is a key to communicating with confidence. As we discussed in step two, it's really hard to communicate clearly when we're in an emotional reaction. And it's also really hard to communicate with confidence. And by the end of today's show, we will have a clear understanding of the value of understanding how often our thoughts block us from navigating our divorce with more ease. We're going to look at very closely at four ways that our thoughts stop us. And we're going to call them gales, G-A-I-L-S. The four gales are our gremlin. That's the first one we're going to talk about. And that's really the inner critic that we all have, that voice that that um, undercuts our confidence. And the second one is assumptions, then interpretations, and then limiting beliefs. So we're going to focus today's show on the mental ruts caused by our gals, our gremlins, assumptions, interpretations, and limiting beliefs. And as we examine these poor categories of mental obstacles, we can see how we can fall into them and how we get stuck in them, and they cause us to just feel more pain than we need to be feeling in an already painful experience. I know as I explore my own thinking, I begin to see how my pain can originate with the way I'm thinking. And once I'm aware of how I'm thinking and what that thought is, I can pull myself back up and I can begin to consciously change the way I'm thinking and interacting in a situation. As we get further on in the call, I'm going to share something that happened this very morning. Exactly. And so sometimes the way we perceive the world is is very, or a particular situation is very constructive and it allows us to engage in a way that uh, leads toward an outcome that we desire. And other times it our thought process uh, can lead to a very destructive way of thinking, feeling, and acting. And, and what we end up doing in those cases is instead of responding to the situation with some space and thought and clarity, we have a knee-jerk reaction. And that happens in each of the gales, and that's what we're going to get into. And when we're in reaction, it doesn't tend to work out so well. 
Now, getting to my example this morning, I took my husband for a colonoscopy. What fun. And while I was in the waiting room, I figured I would catch up with my daughter, uh, who is why I was out of the country. She got married and she lives in India. And today is the day my dad passed away. So it's the anniversary of his death. And as I'm actually texting with my daughter, I said to her, oh, you know, this is the day Grandpa died. What do you remember about Grandpa? And Noelle's response was uh, she remembered that her boyfriend in college was coming up to visit her, unbeknownst to her, and it was for her birthday, which is in two days. And she had come back for the funeral, so they missed each other. And when she answered like that, the first thing that jumped into my mind was, my God, how selfish she is. She didn't even ask me about how I feel on the day of my dad's death. And I stopped in my own head and I went, wait a second, is that true? And I realized I asked her what she remembered about grandpa. And that's what she remembered. She answered exactly what I asked. And she wasn't being selfish. She was answering a question And had I gone off with, you're being so selfish, all you think about is yourself, it would have been a mess, an absolute mess, and it wouldn't even have been based in reality. And after she said that, her next text was, Mom, how are you doing today? It was a perfect example of just jumping. Absolutely. That's such a good example. And, you know, when we're raised, we're not taught to examine or challenge our thoughts. So we walk around believing that our thought is reality. And yet your example was is, is such a perfect one. We're always linking our thoughts together and creating stories, right? In every situation and interaction. And oftentimes, especially when we're under stress, those stories may not be true and there may be other things behind them, which is what today's show is all about. And when we give ourselves the the space that you did, Lise, and just say, well, wait a second, how true is that? It opens up an entire new possibility for us. Thanks for sharing that. Well, you're welcome. And there was one other side I want to share about that. As I reflected on the thought process, I realized that I was actually the one being selfish. And that was pretty humbling because I made that conversation all about me and she wasn't meeting my needs. And I also got to recognize that by questioning my thought and, you know, my my jumping on what I was saying about her. In fact, it was really about me and I could get off it that way. Well, thanks for sharing that, Lise. Let's jump into the the four gals. Uh, The first one is what we refer to as the gremlin. It's it's our inner critic. It's uh, it's the negative self-judgment we have about ourselves. And in one way or another, no matter what your your gal is, uh, your gremlin is, or or how it's voiced, they all pretty much say the same thing, that we're, that we're not good enough or we're not worthy. And, you know, depending on our, our situations and our upbringing, it'll sound a little different. But at the end of the day, it's the voice in our head um, that usually dates way back, often to childhood, and it says that we're not worthy and it, it stops us in our tracks. It's also, out of the four gales, the one that's the greatest emotional trigger because it's all about us and it's something, it's this, this self-doubt that we've lived with for a long time. And so it's very emotionally tender um, and it, it may even be there to protect us, to keep us from doing things that where we might be taking risks or we might fail, but it, it's not really protecting us. It's, it's undercutting us. And so um, taking a look at, at your gremlin is, 
is really very valuable. Lisa, you want to jump in with some examples? I have an absolutely lovely client in New York. And as we coach together, what she discovered was she didn't feel she was worthy of happiness. And as I said, well, what leads you to believe that? She answered with, because she wasn't good enough. Like she wasn't a good enough person. And again, I said, well, what does a good enough person do? How do they live? And her answer was, they're they always help others regardless of their own needs. They do what everyone wants them to do. They ensure that everyone around them is happy. And I just was quiet after she said that. And in a moment, she piped up and said, well, that's pretty impossible, isn't it? (laughs) And, you know, my answer was, well, I haven't seen that be uh, a powerful or an effective approach to life. So how else can you define good? And who's judging? You know, who is this person within you judging yourself? And she was able to get off it and realize that, you know, she's ready for happiness. And it was a giant step forward. Yeah, that's huge. And, you know, it just, it could show up in so many different ways. For you, it may be, I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not savvy enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not attractive enough. Not muscular enough. I don't have enough hair. I have too much hair. It goes on and on, and it's and and so take a moment and think about what your gremlin is, and and you might know right away. Oh my goodness, this is the statement. It goes through my head all the time, and it stops me. And you may not be so familiar with it or catch it right away. But but step one, because we always talk about action steps as we go through these shows, is for you to give some thought to that voice in your head, that statement that stops you from moving forward in your life in a way that you desire. And that leaves you feeling uh, insecure and, and unprepared or, or incapable, all of those things. And it's, it's nothing other than a statement in your head. And that's what we were talking about, to take the time and space to step back and examine and challenge these things. And for our listeners, particularly looking at inventing a new future, and for many of you going back into the job market in a different way, if you're telling yourself, I'm not educated enough, I'm not experienced enough, really ask yourself for what and what are you discounting Because every human being has had an education of one sort or another, and every human being has immensely valuable experience. So those are two that we really see clients get stuck in the rut of and are worthy of pulling ourselves or pushing ourselves or getting a coach to shove us gently out of. Absolutely. The next um, gal is the A, and it stands for Assumptions. And basically, with assumptions, the thought is, because it happened before, it's going to happen again. Because I experienced this thing with this person or in this situation before, that's how my future experiences are going to turn out. And when we live in our assumptions, when we live in any of these um, these gals, we actually end up taking part in creating the very thing that we don't want because it's where our attention is. There's a saying, what you appreciate appreciates. And so wherever we pour our attention, that's what grows. And so if your assumption is if it happened before, it's going to happen again. Something as simple as, you know, my, my spouse, um, uh, you know, 
picked up the kids late the very first weekend she had custody. So now I have to deal with this for the rest of time. And you can see you're getting annoyed and aggravated and you're reacting to the other person as if it's already happened a bunch of times and will always happen in the future. And it's just not real. Lise, you have a really strong example of, a, of an assumption with one of your clients. You want to share that? I do care, but before I get to it, I just want to say the other side. We also make assumptions that if it didn't happen before, it's not going to happen now. And I know for many of my clients, again, who are switching professions, going back into a job market, or switching jobs, if they've gone to three or four interviews and they haven't gotten the job, there's this assumption that I'm not going to get a job. No one's going to hire me. And it's a very unhealthy assumption because I guarantee that everyone who stayed in the game, they find that position. They make it work. So there's, it happened again. It's not going to happen again, both of them. So my example is... Um, a gentleman who had a number of really lousy experience with divorce attorneys, and he lost trust in divorce attorneys, period. And the way I could, and he needed a new one because his prior attorney uh, actually fired him, which was interesting. So I coached him through his assumption, being very understanding of, of course, he would feel that way. Well, at the same time, calling upon him to remember times he has utilized the services of attorneys and had success. And then I also was able to stimulate his logic by reminding him of the number of divorce attorneys that exist in the world and the minuscule sample he'd had experience with. So through that, he was willing to reach out to an attorney that we actually had had experience with and recommended highly, uh, only to explore not to hire him, but he went out, he had a conversation, he asked all of his questions, he shared all of his past experiences and found this attorney to be attentive, um, really listened, he wasn't defensive, answered all the questions thoroughly. And my client's been working with that attorney ever since, finding him amazingly honest, caring and intelligent. And we'll be back with more of the show after this. We're there right when you need us the most. And we make sure you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you between calls to be more effective. I was very fortunate to find Journey Beyond Divorce. I would go searching for any piece of information that could either A, give me more knowledge about the divorce process itself, or B, could talk me down emotionally. And I found that Journey Beyond Divorce was really instrumental in providing both things. One, the guidance of the divorce process itself, as well as talking about self-maintenance and what does the individual need to do to kind of cope with it. Let us help you gain a broader perspective and determine your best next steps with our free Rapid Relief Lifeline Call. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call. At the foundation of this work that we're talking about, um, I'm going to remind everyone that as we talked about in step two, our thoughts are hardwired into our feelings. If the thought is, I'm going to get screwed by every attorney, then even the conversation with the new attorney is going to be filled with mistrust, with angst, with potential conflict energy. And so then what would the outcome be? It would not be a good one. And so whether you're noticing your, your gremlin or you're noticing that you make assumptions, when we, when we do these things and we don't take the time to step back and examine and challenge those thoughts, we just go with them. And when we go with them, we connect to that level of energy, that that energy that is mistrusting or that is 
angry or that is insecure. And then our action then plays out and the very outcome that we least desire, we take part in creating. And that's why this work is so powerful because when you begin to get that, when you begin to see your assumptions and watch what happens and see that you're a part of the outcome you don't want, you're empowered to change it. All of these things that we talk about, even if you're neck deep in doing those things now, that doesn't mean you can't start changing immediately. And that's the beauty of shining a light and becoming aware of these mental ruts, as we call them, that we want you to be able to roll out of and create new, new ways of thinking. Changing our thinking is a game changer. So let's go on and take a look at interpretations. You know, interpretations um, is another one where we see the world through the filter of our life experience and we interpret words, actions, situations based on our lens. And so that's going to include everything that we've experienced. If I was raised in a household with, um, with you know, hostile words or abusive words, I'm going to interpret people who show up angry and speak hostily as if um, I'm being abused. And so, so it's going to be one of my lenses. And, and if you grow, so there's so many different lenses that we wear um, in this area of interpretation and we don't even know it. And so you're seeing something and you're saying, well, there's only one way to interpret it. She meant this or he meant that. And that's not true at all. And when we become aware of our lens, just like Lisa was talking about with her, her story this morning, um, it enables us to, to challenge the perspective that we're looking at and see whether or not it's real or true. And when we do that and we have that space to stop, um, we can change the way we feel about the interaction and the person and we can change the way we act. And I have an example of a client of mine who, you know, he had such a great attitude. He he cared about his wife. He knew the relationship had been dead for a while. He wanted to go through his divorce with grace and dignity. And he wanted to be not fair. He actually wanted to be overly fair and generous. And, and things were going along really smoothly. Now, he had known for a while that he wanted to get a divorce. So when he told her it was shocking to her. She, she was, he was quite a bit ahead of her. And one time he got on the phone and he was in a snit and she's manipulating me. She's getting on the phone. She's, you know, telling me it's whatever, a midlife crisis and all these other things. And she's trying to get me back and she's being really manipulative. And maybe I should just take off the gloves and, and fight. And it made sense that that's the way he looked at it because of his experience and his interpretation. And we, when we began to dig a little bit, two things came out. One was that this particular client tended to be a caretaker. And so it was really poking at his desire to step in and take care. And the other thing was that when we looked at where she was in the grieving process, um, she was like, that day she was, you know, neck deep in bargaining. And it actually showed that she had, she was moving along. She wasn't in denial anymore. She wasn't in depression as much. She had reached this new stage, which meant that she was moving. And when we were able to look at, well, what else could be going on here with you being triggered with where she is in the grieving process? By the time he got off the phone, he was back in that caring, compassionate place, knowing that he needed to give her some space to set some boundaries and to be patient so that she could come along. The The tail end of that story is their divorce went very quickly, very amicably, and it had a lot to do with him being able to take the time to challenge his own interpretations of what was going on each step of the way. And I think it's vital to point out here, had he not 
examined his reaction to how she was approaching him, he could have taken those gloves off. And what that can translate to is a litigious divorce that costs tens of thousands of dollars and can go on and affect everyone very, very negatively and create the kind of pain and suffering that had is completely, in many cases, not all, but totally avoidable if we stop ourselves from jumping into a fantasy that we don't realize we're creating from our own interpretations. Absolutely. And I think for the, there are, look, there are couples out there where um, you may never be friends after the divorce because there's so much um, contention or hostility, but there's plenty of couples where you're going to be co-parenting and you can be friends. And had this client not um, done the work that he did, the friendship that he now gets to enjoy with his ex-wife, it, it would have been destroyed. It would have it would have been decimated. And so, if you're in that situation where it would be really nice in your heart's desires to be able to co-parent and be amicable with your soon-to-be ex. Taking a look at your uh, your gals is going to really help you to see that outcome as true. It's a great, great point. I want to share one other one just because, and very quickly, just because it, it's it, it was quite different. I had a client who... Um, who uh, was married for 45 years, was devastated when her spouse left. And and her interpretation was one with her attorney. And every time her attorney talked about going to court, she would be paralyzed with fear. So much so that when I, when I tried to get a sense, she said, my attorney's so aggressive. This is going to be devastating. I won't go to court. I can't go to court. And when we dug down, it turned out that her her interpretation of going to court was that she was going to be handcuffed and taken away by police. Now, as completely out of the realm as reality as that was, she she didn't actually connect that until we poked around. Once we talked about it and we talked about what really happens and, and how it would unfold, she was able to partner with her attorney, step out of resistance and move forward. And she so deeply wanted to get through the divorce and yet really got locked in resistance and paralysis over an interpretation that her conscious mind didn't even realize when we first started, she just knew she couldn't do it. Uh, So there's so it's, it's so powerful to look at that, to shine some light on it and to see how am I thinking about this situation? And, and is it really true? And, and is it serving me? Is it benefiting me to be looking at it that way? That seems pretty complete in terms of, in terms of interpretations, let's let's go on to something similar but yet different, which is limiting beliefs. Our limiting beliefs leave us trusting as fact that which is only a perspective. Our limiting beliefs often come from how we were raised, the culture, the religion, the socioeconomic uh, level that we were raised in, and our limiting beliefs actually obstruct a future that we desire that's different from the past and present and what we've already known. And I, you know, there's so many different ways that we can describe limiting beliefs. One of the clients that I work with came from an incredibly wealthy background. And, and this was a little fascinating for me. I I hadn't even thought of this, but as children, they were told how they had to show up, what mask they had to put on, how they, what was right and wrong, and how they had, had to, how she had to be a nice girl, and the things she had to do. And and this is a woman who's who's fairly mature now, and she never thought to stop and look at those beliefs and challenge whether or not they were true. And so she was living her life by a rule book that 
that she got from her parents when she was young that was really hamstringing her to live her life the way she wanted to. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And limiting beliefs are very much at the foundation of what we often believe about the world when we haven't had any other experiences. And they're rife with um, all white people are like this. All gay people are like that. All black people are like that. Oh, Hispanics. Yeah, they're like that. And they're often something that we were told that limits us from being able to see what's real, unfortunately. Right. And for our divorcing people, um, uh, the one of the ones I hear the most is, you know, life is over. I'm too old to meet someone. And sometimes those people are in their 60s. Sometimes they're in their 50s. I've had, had people in their late 30s telling me that they're too old to meet someone. And, you know, and it's like, do you have a debilitating illness? Are you going to be gone in a couple of years? Because <laughs> other than that, like the work, you, you know, you have tons of years left and, and there's no reason to believe that. And so it's this limiting belief that at a certain age, you know, that's it, I'm done. There's no romance, there's no love, there's no partnership. Um, and Cara, Cara, I want to point something out. It is possible if you have a de- debilitating disease and you're going to be gone in a few years that you still can meet someone. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so I want to get that limiting belief right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for that. I've seen it happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just, let's look at a few of them. Uh, you know, I, we, go oh, ahead. go ahead. Okay. Yeah, go ahead because I think you're still talking about divorce and I want to use one that comes up for people who are post-divorce that uh, makes me giggle all the time. So I had a client who had been married for over 20 years and she, um, her husband's family had a, a family business and she was a, a very big part of it. And, um, and, and so when they split, she came to me saying, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to make a living. I don't have any experience. That was her limiting belief. I don't have any experience. And I said, well, you know, what have you done? She said, well, I stayed home and I raised my kids and I helped with the family business. And so I'm thinking, you know, maybe she did some paperwork in the main office. And when we started looking into it, she handled all of their finances, all of their books, their purchasing, their, um, their, their buying. And the more she elaborated on it, it turned out that she was the CFO of this significant business for like 15 years and when we explored that it turned out that because she didn't have the title CFO and she didn't have the salary that a CFO should have in fact she didn't have a salary she just went in and did it as part of you know part of her husband's family right um and, and her belief was so limiting. And when we explored it, she was able to put together a resume and stand in her experience and her wisdom and her authority in an area that prior to the conversation literally didn't seem to exist in her thought process for her. That's a, that's a great example of, you know, moving forward and being stopped, being in a rut, because you keep having this thought repeat itself that I don't have enough experience to re-enter the job market or to enter the job market. Um, I'm thinking about my my post-divorce clients, and Kara, I'm sure you've had this too. The people who say to me, I don't, I, I'm not going to date I'm not even going to try. All the good men or all the good women are taken. I've heard and, that. Yeah, it's so and and there's there's magazine articles about it. You can hear it in the media. The reality is that that's such a limiting belief. You know, there are millions and millions of people on this planet. And there are people at all stages, at all times. And when one opens up to, no, you know, there is someone out there who 
I'm willing to meet and I'm willing to enjoy being with and having a great relationship with, it really changes the dynamics. So when you do go out there and, you know, you're, you're meeting people and spending time with them and realizing, okay, this person isn't for me. There's this feeling of, okay, that one isn't, but there is one that is. And my life's going on okay without a significant other, yet there's somebody out there and I'm willing to meet them. And it it just changes the dynamic and it gets you out there in a new way and allows you to be more playful um, kissing frogs. (laughs) With all of these gals... We invite you today to look at the way that you're perceiving your world, your circumstances, your spouse, your divorce. And if you find yourself holding on to a thought or a perspective that is not bringing value to your life, ask yourself why. The question is, you know, how true is this thought? And what's another perspective that would bring more value to my life, that would open up more possibilities in terms of choices, that would be more life enhancing for me? And so, so often, As we said in the beginning, we just believe our thoughts. I read a book, an incredible book I want to share with you. It's called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And he has this really playful way of talking about thoughts. He he says, you know, imagine that you had a friend and the friend always um, talked about doom and gloom, told you why you couldn't do something, why you were insecure, why it was the other person's fault, how things were wrong. And, and actually this person also ended up being wrong most of the time. He says you would unfriend them. And yet we listen to the thoughts in our mind do exactly that to us. And we keep going back for more and going, okay, yeah, I'm just going to blindly listen to you. You're my thought. You must be right. And so it's such a great book because it really gets us looking at our thoughts. And he's basically saying, you know, unfriend the the voice in your head that isn't serving you and 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 find a new way of perceiving the world and thinking. And that's really what we're talking about today. And for our audience that may be considering divorce, but not yet involved with divorce, there's a limiting belief that not only keeps um, an unhealthy situation going in the present, it perpetuates an unhealthy situation for generations to come. And that thought is that if I split my family up with divorce, my children will suffer. Now, the research has shown that if there's a truly unhealthy relationship going on in the house, if there's verbal abuse, physical abuse, abuse of alcohol or drugs, if you continue to stay in that situation and continue to keep your children in that situation, you're actually training your children to accept unhealthy conditions in their lives rather than showing them how to take action to create a healthier situation. So for those of you under these extreme circumstances, when there's actual physical and mental and substance abuse that's harming the family dynamic, take a look at that limiting belief because it is not supported by research. Research supports taking action and teaching your children that there's a way out of terrible situations, of healthy ways out. That really is the way forward if you care not only about your children, but your children's children and their children. Lisa, I'm so glad you brought that up. You're actually describing my situation. And 
you know, I was so afraid to leave and I came from a divorced family and I didn't want my children to. And I had a wonderful therapist who really challenged my beliefs and helped me to make a decision. And today I I left when my kids were seven and nine and they're 17 and 19 now. And they've had two different households. They've been able to assess what feels good and what feels unhealthy. They've created um, emotional maturity, boundaries, understanding. Now they talk to me about what they want in relationships that are healthy. And so for anyone who believes that it's, it's, it's better for the kids to stay Uh, The truth is, if one parent is healthy and keeps the focus on the opportunity for growing and learning, your children will be better off not living under the roof with contention and, you know, addiction or abuse or anything like that. So I think that's such a great point to make, Lise. Hey, Kara, congratulations on being 10 years out and having created journey beyond divorce and all of us who are here to serve to serve the divorcing community so they can do it healthier and they can learn from the pain and grow and evolve through it good work girl thank you Mm. so we're going to move into the um the action part of our show now equipped with this new awareness how do you change the way you interact with your world and we want to share a practice a tool and a behavior change with you that is going to really rock your world and change things for you and the practice is patience and I don't know about you guys but I think that that's a practice I'm going to be just working on until I'm ready to meet my maker Um, patience and more patience and more patience allows uh, the situation to be until it's clear what a useful response is. And so it's space. We're talking about when, when we have an initial reaction, it's knee jerk, right? We're going from zero to a hundred on the spot. And this is saying now you have an opportunity to, when you're perceiving a situation a certain way, taking a breath, taking space, and challenging the thought and being patient that you don't have to respond or react right away. You don't have to engage right away. First, you can assess if what you're seeing, thinking, believing is true, and then you can move forward more cautiously and carefully. And that patience, when we started, I used the example of what happened in that waiting room while I was texting my daughter. If I hadn't had the patience to just take a look at my reaction to what Noel wrote back, I would have made a mess that that could have lasted weeks, months, even years that hurt that accusation. And so I... Patience might seem like it's, oh, yeah, patience, not not really that important. But like Karen said, creating that space, even patience with yourself in your own reactions so you can stop and take a look at what's going on inside and you can assess, it's vital, absolutely vital. And the tool, and we actually have two in a way uh, the tool that comes the tools that come along with this are number one keeping the focus on yourself and in the beginning it's really hard to do because he or she is you know wrong or doing something bad and what have you and that's our initial story but when we keep the focus on ourselves um, in 12-step programs uh, they say keep your side of the street clean The idea is keep the focus on you, watch your perspectives, watch your reactions, and you just do everything in your power to be to be calm and clear and um, and that's going to lead you toward a better outcome. And then Lise, you have a second one. I do. And it's about that better outcome. I was in a seminar a few years back and the seminar leader asked a question. And the question is, what are you for? And I didn't understand what he meant at first. So I questioned him. And I, 
his response to me was, well, what outcome? Like, why are you even in the room? What is it that you walked into this wanting to walk away with? And when we clarify what we're for, particularly emotionally, you know, I'm for walking away with this feeling satisfied, feeling complete, feeling like I've, I've moved things from where they are closer to where I want them to be, then you can use that what you're for as a North Star to, after you stop and look at your initial reaction and listen, examine the thoughts you've been thinking, to ask yourself, okay, if I want to go from here and what I'm for is that, what action or what response can I construct consciously and intentionally to move me from here to closer to what I'm for? So if you ask yourself, what am I really for in this situation? It can be a a powerful navigational tool. And just a quick example, let's let's go back to, you know, the, the picking up of the kids. If if your spouse is picking up the kids, uh, had picked up the kids late once and, and your thought is to say, you know, you know, you were really late and, and you messed up my schedule and I wish you'd be on time today. Um, that whole reaction is going to lead in one direction. Um, on the other hand, you could you could stop and you can think about your perspective and you can you can step into what you're for. I hope you have a great day with the kids, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys back here at six o'clock. It's a completely different way of communicating, a different energy that you're putting out there, and you're pouring into what you're for, which is to have. A good working relation, co-parenting relationship with your ex, and um, and clear communication. And in terms of planting seeds, the first conversation that you brought up about you're always late, and the focus for that person when they walk away from that conversation is late. Is the word late? Is the word I screw up? Is the word? Um, I'm not doing it right, or she's always making me, or he's always making me wrong. We're in your second, and that's the seed you planted without realizing it. That's the seed in their head. Yet in your second example, when you said, you know, thanks for being here. I'm looking forward to seeing you at six. The seed you're planting is being somewhere at 6 p.m., There's no negativity. And whether that other person's conscious of it or not, you've still planted that seed. So they're going to walk away and their mind is recorded, ah, be somewhere at six versus be late again. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Really powerful stuff. The behavior change that you're going to experience when you work on this practice and you use these tools is becoming intentional, becoming intentional in your thoughts, in your feelings, and in how you ultimately act. And that is, that is absolutely going to drive you closer to the outcome you desire in every given situation. And we have developed a four-step process to help you do that. I called it the MIFR. And that came from my nephew who gave me a Swiffer. And I was using it <laughs> one day to, to work on the kitchen floor. And I realized this is so great. You have this thing, you pull it out, you clean up what you don't want, and you get rid of it. And I thought, what if we had a MIFR for a Swiffer for the mind? And that's where I came up with the idea of a MIFR. So mindfulness. What, if, what are my thoughts? Have I put them together? What story have I been living out of? And begin to be mindful of, of your gales. The second is inquiry. How true is the story I'm telling myself? How true are these thoughts that I've been entertaining in my head? And is if I'm really using evidence, is there evidence that dis- discounts the story I'm telling myself so I can be more in reality and I can give up this one-sided thinking. I can give up my gales. The third, so it's mindfulness, inquiry, focus. Okay, 
from what I've been telling myself, the self-conversation, how am I feeling? Am I feeling empowered? Am I feeling like I want to go back under the bed covers and not wake up for a couple of years? You know, how, how do my behaviors from the story I'm telling myself, how do they reinforce my story? And what results have been created out of me living out of my miffers? Where's it getting me? And then the final is remembering, okay, I realize that I'm for moving through this divorce with grace and dignity and coming out of it a stronger, clearer, more effective, happier person than I was before it all started. And if that's what I'm for, then how can I reframe the thoughts in my head that are going to move me towards what I'm for instead of the ruts I've been stuck in? And that's the miffer. And each time you do it, you can peel off that, that whatever it is, that mop head, (laughs) <laughs> and you can recycle it, and you've got a clean floor to start exploring. So as we wrap up, we want to invite you to roll out of your mental ruts Woo! and begin to communicate with more confidence in a calm, responsive way. And we hope that this has been helpful. We offer um, one-on-one coaching. If you need some support in doing this, reach out to us. And we do, um, we do look forward to seeing you uh, on our next show for Step 4. Before we go, I want to remind everybody or or tell them for the first time, if this is the first time you're listening, we have articles on our website about the Miffer, about what's your story, about mind chatter. We've got a private Facebook community. You can go to Journey Journey Beyond Divorce Facebook community and with anonymity, you can begin to engage with other people going through the process, get support share, find out resources that have been supportive and helpful. We have our ebook, Stepping Out of Chaos, Transforming Pain to Possibility, and that can be purchased on our website and also on Amazon. And there's something else, the untethered soul. I don't remember what that is. Kara, could you help me with that one? Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. It's a book written by Michael Singer that yeah. that talks about the mental chatter and and uh, is a, is a really good good read. Great, thank you. Thanks. I always like the saying, "It takes guts to leave the ruts." Kind of fits here. Ooh, that's excellent, Steve. You were saying that before this show. <laughs> I I just said now, but uh, you can use that if you'd like. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted permission. I like that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Karen and Lisa, for all you do. And if you're a new listener and you haven't started at the beginning of this 12-step divorce recovery plan series, I invite you to go back and listen to the introductory show as well as the previous steps. And if you're going through the process of divorce, I highly recommend reaching out to Karen and her team for more information and to schedule a free consultation. And once again, you can reach them at their website, which is journeybeyonddivorce.com. And as Lisa mentioned, you can find their ebook out there, Stepping Out of Chaos, Surviving Divorce, Transforming Pain to Possibility, written by Karen McMahon and Lisa Brick. Thank you, ladies. Thanks, Steve. It's been a pleasure being here with you today. At Journey Beyond Divorce, we know that sometimes the most powerful support we can offer is to help you process the storm of emotions you're experiencing and gently challenge the beliefs that are keeping you stuck. The way Karen delivers her program is that she validates the feelings, the emotions, the ups, the downs. She hones in on the specifics that really talk to that particular person when they're going through this crazy emotional time. Let us be a beacon in the midst of this crazy emotional time. Book a free lifeline call with us to help lift the fog and begin practicing new ways of thinking, being, and doing 
that better support you as you journey through and beyond divorce. Our gift to you is taking that first step with you on your free Rapid Relief Lifeline call, where we help you navigate the emotional and logistical turbulence of separation and divorce. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call.